Driven by a lifetime of racism and injustice, she's been a powerhouse advocate for change. In our yarn today, we hear all about how this smart kid from the bush went on to revolutionise healthcare services for Aboriginal people in Western Australia. A life's work that earned her an honorary doctorate of science. Welcome to the show, Dr Margaret Colburn. Arnie, welcome to the show. Lovely to have you here for yarn today. Can we start by you telling our listeners, who's your mob and where you're from? I'm from Narragin in the southwest, and my mob on my father's side is, is Colbung's side, and all his family, all his sisters are all Woods, Williams and Pennies from the lower Great Southern. Mm-hmm. And on my mother's side was the Parfits, the Humes, the Bennells and the Garlets. Ah. And that's all on my grandmother's side. Well, she was Lottie Humes. That's my my bloodline too. There you go. See? I think I need to call you Nan. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> well, but there we are. Should I call you Nan? Yes, you, you can. You want me to call you Nan? And that's and and yes, do that because all the young kids said they they call me Nan, and that's out of respect for mm, who I am. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, but that's knowing knowing who you are and where you're from, isn't it? Mm. Like right. and, and the kids coming through too, you know, yes. to know that yes. that genealogy side of things, yes. you know. And it's very interesting because the Beckenham Primary School teachers call me Nan too. Yeah. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. Because all the little younger kids there at Beckenham Primary and, School. Well, Wagglers follow a lot of things, oh, don't they? Oh, do they ever? <laughs> well, you've been called Auntie. Yes. Been called Nan from a lot of people. Yeah. But through our research, pulling this show together, we found out another fascinating thing, that people actually call you doctor as well. Well, that's why I have those um, Band-Aid boxes in my <laughs> lounge room. <laughs> well, I got told that your nickname was Moogity. Yeah, Yes, it is. So do I, do I call you Nana Dr Moogity? Moogity is shining the light. And my, my mother called me Moogity because my sister's name is Marcia and my name is Margaret, and my camp name was Moogity because that's what my mother called me. Is, is that a Noongar name, Moogity? I think it was my mother's nickname. Oh, okay. And yeah. then shining the light. But I gave that because I wanted to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> because we were talking about the Swan River and and on the point there, mm-hmm. just between the two sides, I said, Shining the light. It shines a light on all the rubbish that's in the Swan River. Yeah. And you've got to clean it out. I thought, it's shining the light. There you go. Wow. That's what it was all about, shining the light on that rubbish that needed to be cleaned out because the Swan River was our river, Mm. Durbel, Mm. and that was it. Yeah. You just imagine it back Back before colonisation, on yes, it. Yes, yes. How clear it would have been, clean, oh, it would have been you know. Lovely, yeah. lovely. And just imagine the the animals around, you know, and the fish. Yes, been everywhere. They've been packed. Mm. And in in back in those days, that was our um, 
cleaning. We had to do the washing. Well, when, the, mm. when we had to have our baths and everything like that, we used to sit in the river. In the river. And and wash, wash right. ourselves. Let's, let's, let's go back to a little bit before that time. Mm. Um, is it true you were born in a tent? My sister was born in a tent. Mm. And I, and no, I was born on Old Dryander Road on the way to down to Wandering. Oh, yes. And, and that was up in the bush because back in those days, Aboriginal people weren't allowed to be cared for in, in the public hospitals mm. out of that one. But that was all right because our, our, uh, we used to have a camp nurse. My mum was a camp nurse. And she used to have to look and care for all her sisters and brothers, and she had about eleven of them, I think, yeah. all together. And she had to care for them. And one of my aunties, she delivered when Mum was pregnant, and and she she was in a camp in a tent. Yeah. And my auntie, who's from Collie, she delivered one of my sisters, and. And those kids are now, they're all, you've got, you got the, the, the Nestoridis. Mm. That's all her grandchildren. And, and that's where it all came from. So and when we go to Narragin, I show them the tree mm. where, where their where grandmother, great-grandmother was born. Oh, and they just hug that tree. They think it's so, and I, and I just feel so, I get so choked up. You know? Well, that's, that's, um, that's what... <laughs> Wagala fellows don't realise too, no, the no. significance of of a tree. Yes, that one yes. tree. People drive would be driving past that tree all the time. You know, they did, they and did. then but they don't know the story. They don't know the story, and that's what that tree. That was the, it. Was only a little tree back then, but mm-hmm. that's that's where their grandmother was born, yeah. and it was our auntie, who's one of the Hartfart family from Collie, right. who delivered her. Wow. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. Who de- who delivered you? Oh, I think they're sorry now, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, I think it was my grandmother because she was also a midwife. Yeah. And she did all, and my grandmother and, like I say, we weren't allowed on into, into the, mainstream hospitals and things like that. So my mother was a camp nurse and my grandmother. She was also, she was cared and looked after it. So you'd be a bush baby too. Yes, yes. Solid. And I think, and I think, I'm just so proud of it. Yeah. I'm just so proud of, of, you know, being a bush baby because mm. that's I grew up in the bush. I lived the bush. There wouldn't be many bush babies around now, are there? No, no. And that, and that's, and that's sad. That's sad. Mm. Because then along the way I, I took up nursing and I thought, well, no, I'm going to make sure my people live a long and healthy life. Yeah. So that was my that was my role, caring yeah. for my people. But you would have, you would have picked that up obviously in your childhood, didn't I? Yes, my like mother. Caring for others. Yes. What was your childhood like? Oh, I think it was it was we had to know our place. We weren't allowed to. We were one of those kids that are seen and not heard, mm. and that we had, didn't weren't allowed to make. But, but I knew how to climb trees and ride horses. Yeah. And how about that? Horses. Yes, we had old. My grandfather had an old horse called Donald, 
mm. and one of those Clydesdale horses. Oh yeah. And and um, so we, me and my auntie, who was my mum's younger sister, but we were a couple of years, couple of months. Yeah. Apart. And that's when you get that sort of bond of more than auntie, like sister yes, girls. And yeah. All. yeah. And we used to we used to ride that horse. And mm. we used to, when we saw grandfather coming over the hill, because he used to work over the hill at a farm, when we used to see him coming down the road, we'd be racing down to the fence, the gate. Yeah. To see, and to jump on that horse to ride it up to the camp. <laughs> and that was and that was fun. Yeah, yeah. That that looks like one of your proudest memories of growing up. Oh, it was, there. it was, and we had to be strong. Mm. You know, you know, and I often say, when the white man came to Australia, he came with the rod, racism, oppression, and discrimination. Wow! But our our elders were wise and wonderful people. They came back with an RSVP. Resilience, strength, vitality, and power, and voila, <laughs> we're still here. <laughs> that's too yeah, good. Yeah, and that's it. That's too good. Then you sound very cheeky. Don't say that. <laughs> don't say because I've been told to behave myself. <laughs> no, you don't have to behave yourself in here. You go. For, uh, did you get up to much mischief when you was a child? Um, I. I knew, I had to know my place in the family, mm. but in the schools it was very different. It was very different. Mm. No white kid put us down. Yeah, and that was it. Did tell us about the switchy stick. The switchy stick. <laughs> the switchy stick was, you know, you get straps and belts and everything like that for flogs mm-hmm. and fogging. But our mother used to have a switchy stick. She'd get the it's a green stick off the gum tree, mainly the white gum tree. And just to trim it right back, and it was, you know, and all the little switchy ends. Oh, yeah. And used to get clogged. And used to. That's the one that whistles when you swing it? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I heard that behind me a few times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I get scared of the ones that don't whistle. <laughs> yeah. The dogs. Yeah, they dogs, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had to. We knew what to do. And the other thing is we had to be pretty fast because my father was a champion sprinter of the southwest, so we couldn't run away from him. Mm. But my grandfather and my uncles, they were all fast. Mm. And if we tried to run away from our parents or our grandmother especially, boom, they'd have to wait. They used to just chase us down. Yeah. And I was watching one day. Because my sister, older sister, she's, she's passed on now, but she was a champion sprinter of the Narragin Primary School. Mm. And when when she used to get into trouble, she used to go whoosh across the field and whoosh across the field. My father used to be right behind her and there was a, there was a clump of trees right in the middle of this field, paddock, and when she used to get there, she used to climb straight up that tree so that he couldn't get her. <laughs> but he used to sit and wait because he was pretty patient. I, I reckon to... those switchy sticks, mm. I reckon that's what, um, you know, Noongar is obviously naturally talented yes. and, and physique and, you know, sporty. Yeah. But I reckon the switchy stick had a lot to do with training as well. Oh, it did. It did. <laughs> it did. Did, you, did, you, did your mum make you pick the branch off the tree and break it off? No, she did it herself. 
Oh, see, I liked it when you had to pick your own one. I remember I had we to pick tried, my own We tried. We tried to do that, but no, because we didn't do the right one. We only bought the we little, only one. little tiny one, <laughs> and she wanted one that fitted her yeah. for us. When she went and got it, did you used to go and hide? Oh, we knew where all the hiding places in the bush <laughs> and down the back, and we knew where we knew all the hiding places where yeah. to go. But those hiding places came in good, good. Um, they came good for us mm. because th- that was during native welfare times mm. and the enforcers of the law were the police. And when this balay, aliwa, manach, we just used to know where to run. Yeah. And we knew and we, and the police couldn't find us. I want to I wanna talk about that pretty soon. But before we talk about that, I want to I know a bit more about your mum and dad because they, uh, they sound like they had, you know, the right discipline for your mob and, and obviously the love and care as well. Yes. But tell me about your mum and dad. Where, where are they from? What did they do? Well, my father's from Albany down south. He was born in Kendanup down near Mount Barker and he was, he was lower south. And, um, and, he's, and, he come from, and he's got a big family and he's got um, a couple of his brothers went up to Mora and stuff like that and yep. they were down there. Um, that was my so I pretty well cover the southwest. That's what I've for, noticed for, for yeah. ra- relationships, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, that went as far as Wajin, Katanning Wajin, yeah. and then that's when the Humes Garlet Bennell family took over because mm-hmm. my mother was a Parfit and my grandmother was Lottie Humes, and all her family married into Bennells and Garlets and things like that. Yep. And it covered the rest of the state, rest of it, up to mm. Mora. Nothing. Well, I've got the whole, I've got the whole state covered. You can go anywhere. Yeah, I can go anywhere. Yeah. Not really. We weren't allowed in certain places, and mm. we knew where we weren't allowed to go, because the law was laid down by our elders. Yeah. You can't go there. You're not allowed to go past that rock. Mm. So these are the sacred sites we're yes, talking about. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, you've got to go this way. So you was brought up on the cultural knowledge, the Cadigan as well. Yes, yes. Mm. And and our most aggressive language was sign language. Mm. And it was this, this. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Flogging. Flogging. That's it. <laughs> that's it. But that's that's international, isn't it? Mm. And I think that's why, like, with our our sign language. And our artwork, that that can talk to yes. anybody else, and that's what the the message sticks in that day. Eh? That went out with the yeah. old followers, you know, yeah. and to different language groups. Mm-hmm. One guy, Yamaji, you know, right up, and it's those symbols and those sign languages that um. That you know, we communicate. I often wonder about the 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 Daleks. You know, they were big, thick, flogging mm. sticks. Yeah, and they were usually made for the for the men. Mm. Elder, the young men who didn't do as they're told, and they were called darks. But the women weren't flogged, weren't used. That that wasn't used on them. Mm. It was only the men, because if they didn't do as they were told, they had they had a law enforcer in in the family yeah. environment who used to go and flog that mob. Wow. Just like. I say that I tell them that there's Granny's law, because she was the elder. Mm. The enforcer of Granny's law was my grandfather, 
and his troops with all his daughters. Oh, yeah. oh now about that. That's solid. And that's, that's how it used to be. Yeah. So if there was domestic violence with their brother over there, mm. the daughters used to go and flog the brother. Yep. Because of domestic violence with, with in the family. That's what's missing today. And that's exactly right. Mm. That's exactly right. Yeah. Our our followers they they had ways of handling things they didn't did, they? and they problems. Said, yep, they did. Yeah. And and it and we we always used to know when something's happening because we had to go mm. that way. Mm. And no language, no words spoken. And that's what we had to do. Like you said, everyone knew their place, didn't they? Yes, we all knew our place. Yeah. And that's so that's so missing today, Nan. Yes. Know? You know, I sat on, at, under a tree on top of the hill there at Granny's, Granny's camp in Cabelling Road and with an anthropologist, Graham uh, Tyndale. Mm. And years later I read his book because he sat and he interviewed my grandmother and Earth's sister, Auntie Maud Kickett. Mm. And he interviewed them. And I was sitting thinking, and I was only a young kid back then, so, but no, and I had to sit still, be seen and not, got to be seen and not heard. I had to sit still. Mm. And I was thinking, now, how did I remember all this stuff? But I think I remembered because what he'd written is not what I knew my nana and her sister would say. Yeah. It was his interpretation exactly. of of that um, interview. Yeah. And I told him that too. I said, that's not what they would have said. Yeah. They wouldn't have said that because they had too much respect for each other. Mm. And if the families were fighting and feuding, mm. they'd deal with it another way, not that way. I've, I've always talked about that to a lot of people yeah. who, who read our history of textbooks that was written. Yeah. And you're right, it's their interpretation. It's their interpretation. I'd rather go by the stories that our parents told us mm. and our grandparents and our great-grandparents, that story. Yes. You know? And that's what it is. Yeah. Because, the, because they were enforcers of family law mm. and they knew how to deal with it. Yeah. Well, you go that way. Yeah. Or you got to go and camp. And, and because they were camps... They could just go over there and pitch a tent and mm. stay there, but they weren't allowed past this this bush or that way, and yeah. you had to stay there. And that's all the that's all the the cultural teachings, eh? Yes, yes. and that's the 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 blackfella blackfella mm. way of teaching and the blackfella school. Yes, it, yeah. was, it was our. But law. your dad was really determined to put you into the whitefella school too. He was. Mm. He was determined. Because he said I had to go to the white fellas, white man's school, school to learn how to speak their language. Why? Why was it so important? Because I mean, he he couldn't read or write, and he was he lived in the southwest, and he was determined that we had to learn how to live the white man's life in order to survive. Yes. And that's what he said to my mother. They have to go to school, and when the school wouldn't take us when we weren't allowed to go to the class school classroom. My mother sat outside the headmaster's door office for four days in the week, sat there with me until the headmaster gave me a classroom. Wow. And she was determined because her husband, my dad, said we had to go to school to learn the white man's way. And then I'm thinking, yeah. well, look, 
30, 40 years down the track, I still don't know the white man's way. <laughs> I, I don't think they do too. Yeah, well, this is it. This is it. That, that's amazing. You know, your mum, four days in a row. Yeah, she just sat there. Did, did she, did she, like, ask them, tell them, talk to them, or she just sat there? She'd and... ask, but they wouldn't speak to her because she was a black woman, mm. you know. And we never had books to read and things like that. And one of the things that we learnt was numbers. And I was good at arithmetic and and mental and all of those sort of things. And I used to get top marks. Yeah. But the teacher said I was cheating because all the kids around me, they all got top marks. Yeah. How did that make you feel? But I'd, I'd just been a little... Knew our girl just doing her thing. Mm. I just because you knew what was right and what was wrong, and, and and that was it because we knew all about numbers. Mm. And but if you're doing good, you get rewarded, on her. You'd think. Yeah, and then I was sent to the headmaster's office. Or I was, I was taken out, and I was strip searched because I had written down all the answers. And I was strip searched because I had paper, I had written papers all over me with all the answers on, hmm. and that was cheating. And then when I was moved from that group of kids away from them, their numbers went down, and mine still, mine still they went was up. Copying you. My, yeah, <laughs> they was copying you. And, was, and then when I moved, when they moved me because I was cheating, their numbers went down. Hmm. They, they, they. Um, Went down, and and I still maintained my high scores. Yeah, and that's when I was. That's when I was strip searched because I was, I had the numbers written somewhere on me, mm. and they didn't have biros in those days, so they were pencils. Yeah, and there you go. They just couldn't believe it, eh? And they couldn't believe it. That's right. Yeah, was they, was maths because you was good with numbers? Was maths your favourite subject? Yes, math was my favourite. That was my favourite subject. Mm. And because um, later on in life I took up accountancy and all of those and did. I'm going to bring my paperwork in next time and <laughs> sit down and talk. Our <laughs> tax returns. And, and, and accountancy was one of my things and I learned how to do bookkeeping and yeah. things like that. Was, was there many Noongars in school when you were there? Um. No, because that, that was during native welfare times, and this and Nungas were uh, banned from school. Yeah. But my my mother was determined, and my wow. father was determined too. So they used to take me in a little car, little T model Ford, <laughs> park under the tree, and my mother used to walk me across to the schoolyard, and she would wait there until. The school bell went and I went into a classroom. Wow. And then at every afternoon on the dot, she'd be waiting to pick me up, take me across. If I, she wasn't there to pick me up, I would have been put in a, in a mission. Mm. And she wasn't, that wasn't going to happen because wandering mission at that time was the, mm. wandering in not so much Rollins but Marybank. Yeah. They were the main two. Yeah. Was you, was you treated, I know you, you know, you was treated differently because because you were so smart in class. So it, it seemed like they treated you differently like that, you know, accusing you of cheating. 
But was they also treating you differently because you was Nunga out in the playground? Yes, yes. Yeah. That's it. And and one of the biggest things was um toilets. We weren't I, allowed in the toilets. Now I heard about this that you had to wait until the white kids finished. Went to the toilet, yeah. But we waited near the bush. Mm. So one of the little kids was couldn't wait. That was their that was their toilet there behind that bush. And we used to stand around waiting. See, this is things that when when you look at watch a lot of movies, you know, these Hollywood films mm-hmm. and they show on the segregation yeah. that happened in, you know, America and and mm. and other places around the world. And people always say that didn't happen here. Oh. But I it don't did. Know. That did. Mm. And you you are living proof. And we weren't allowed, and I mean the white kids played there, we weren't allowed there. We had to play here. Mm. Or, or we or we weren't part. We weren't allowed to play part, play a part of their games. Mm. And one of the things is that they used to have all the you know when you used to have your assemblies, everybody used to stand in line and stuff like that. Yeah. We had to stand right at the back, or we had to stand right in the front. And you know what? One of the biggest, one of the things that really got me at that time, I didn't have shoes. And I, I always remember sitting, standing up there trying to hide my bare feet yeah. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And But I, that was, I learned how to deal with that over the years. Uh, listen, listening to your story then, and, um, it sounds like you were very gifted at school. Do you think so? I think so. Do you think so? I was just a, an Aboriginal girl doing the best for my parents, mm. doing what was good for my parents because mm. they said I had to do this and I had to do that. Yeah. So I did my best. Did you go to high school? Yes. You went to high school? Yeah. Because it was, it was very rare that a it lot was. of our mob went to it high was. school back back then. Yeah. I went to third-year high school in Arigen, mm-hmm. and the headmistress, she said she was so proud of me because my seams on my stockings were always straight. And I was thinking, <laughs> and I was thinking, how come? I never even had a pair of stockings. <laughs> so I think, what was she talking about? <laughs> mm. And I always remember that one. And her name was Nancy Richards, and she was the headmistress at Narragan Senior High School, and I did three years there. What was your favourite subject at high school? Um, English. Maths, history. And you was top of the class as well through high school? I came through with some good numbers. Yeah. Hmm. Did they did they encourage you more, you know, like obviously through primary school they was accusing you of cheating. Hmm. But in high school, was there any difference? You know, was they encouraging you more? No. Supporting no support? No. No. When we used to go upstairs, we had to walk on this side of the on the stairwell. Mm. We weren't allowed to walk this side, so we had to be very careful how we walked up the stairs and where we walked, or mm. else we had to wait until all the kids were walk, got up to the top, then we could go to the high school. So nothing, there was no difference? No difference, no mm. difference. It was just that they mm. were cr- more creative in how they, the, how they delivered it. discrimination to the yeah. Aboriginal kids. Yeah, and they get very creative of of hiding those things, aren't they? Oh, do they, yeah. Yeah. So in high school, did you? I know you. Your your sounds like your main motivation was you wanted to do good because that's what mum and dad 
Yeah. They wanted you to do good. Yes. After, you know, going to school and learning and then into high school, did you have dreams of your of your own, like what you wanted to be when you get older? Um, not, not, not really. I just wanted to do good for my parents and my, my, my best subjects were maths, English and all of those. So yeah. that's the field I sort of went into, that one. I, I love the, the fact that your motivation was to do right by mum and dad. Yes. And well, I think you did the, the you, you must have made them really proud when you got a scholarship, and Oh, don't worry. And it came from the Condinan Country Women's Association. Yeah. And that, and it was the Daisy Bates scholarship. And yeah. that was it. And and that was you know, I was overwhelmed. Yeah. By that. I really was. I said, What did I do? <laughs> you know. You're just doing your thing, yeah, aren't I? I'm just doing my thing for my <coughs> mother and my father. Because yeah. that's what they said I had to do. Wow. And when I got the scholarship, I said, oh, my goodness, what do I do with this? I had to ask somebody, what do I do with the scholarship? Was the scholarship in Narragin or did you have to move somewhere? Narragin it was. But yeah. because of because I was interested in office work and all those sort of things, bookkeeping and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. I, um, I, I went to school in Perth to the James Street Tech Technical College on to do uh, office administration and things. Yeah. Because um, it had the subjects that I wanted. Mm. And, um, and then there was the, the art classes, next, the art school next door, so I did, did art classes as well. Yeah. But my first, one of my first jobs was with Native Welfare, mm. working in their office as their little gopher. How, how, did, how did you feel about that back in those days? Because it was, it, because it was back in those days, Aboriginal people didn't get many office work mm. jobs. So, and because my mother and my grandfather were very much involved with police, police with the police um, process, the harassment of the police and things like that, and other things, because Narragin was the most racist town in the southwest. Mm. And and they wanted to make those changes, and the police harassment and and how the police used to, they were they were just locking up people for no reason at all. Because you you knew all about that mm. growing up yes. and what native welfare was doing, yes, and taking their, taking their kids were forcibly removing yes our kid, yes. and then suddenly you're in the office mm. where it's coming from, yes. So you're seeing it from First you hand. know. In the line then. Yes, and I questioned. I questioned the the superintendent, and his name was Wright Webster. Mm. I remember that name. And Beale was his second in charge. Mm. And I questioned them about. I questioned them about the process that was being used with the kids taken away. Mm. And they told me it had nothing to do with me, and I wasn't allowed to use. It. I wasn't allowed to access their files. Yeah. That's it. And that, to me, was a big issue. But mm. because because of that, it was because of my parents, everything I did at that time was for my parents. 
because my father used to work on the railways and he and he was a hard worker and things like that and mm. and as a little bit of money kept as the money kept coming in and things like that and I had younger sisters and brothers which had to be cared for mm. and I was just look I was just looking at you and when you when you're talking about that part mm. when they said you know it's none of your business mm. you know you can't read these files it was all your business isn't it yes because you had to hide, you and, you and your family, brothers and sisters, you had to hide from the welfare. Oh, yes. You, know, you was on the run. Mm. It's all, it was all your business. And yes. I'm just looking at you talking and, it, and it's still like it hits a nerve there. Oh, it does. It does. Hmm. And because you still live the life. You still, you, you, hmm. well, the memories never go away. They're still there. And I remember when the police were chasing my uncles up in the hills just over the road from on the Wickerpen Road from Narragin, mm. out of Narragin because that's where we live. And we used to go up the hill and play in the in the bush up in the hill. The police were chasing my uncles because apparently they were, they were what were they doing, walking on the wrong side of the street or somebody Something was giving silly. it silly. Yeah. And I watched, we was watching through the bushes and watching the police chase my uncles. And there was a big clay pan in the middle. And my uncle jumped because they knew where the hard ground was. My uncle's jumped across that. The police, they just kept running them <laughs> right down, straight down in the... And, oh, we just killed ourselves <laughs> laughing, laughing. And they just went straight down into the mud pond. And and because my uncle and them, they just run and they 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 ran and they hid... Yeah. In the bush over there. Well, they knew their country, didn't they? Yeah, that's it. And when the police tried to get out, you know, all the shoes <laughs> was in, the, in there and we were killing ourselves up there. But our mother, our family, come, get, get, otherwise they'll take you away. So we had to, we didn't see what happened in the end, but we saw what happened in the beginning. Oh, it was so <laughs> wicked. Run straight down because, you know, our our uncles, they knew they knew the land, and they jumped. They knew where the hard ground was. Yeah, police went straight down. Oh, that's 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 so funny. I was just picturing that, yeah. and, I, and I was picturing it with um, um, those old style black and white movies, you know, mm. and the piano playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, I tell you what, that was. That was that was really an interesting. Oh, that was ex. That, yeah. We thought that was great. <laughs> that was great, and we wanted to watch how the police got their shoes out. But we had to go. We yeah. had to go. <laughs> um, it's um when 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 you was working in the welfare, mm. and and you saw what was going on there. Your your family members and community would know you was working there as well. Yes, they did. Was was there a lot of conflict or or no. there was nothing from no the community? No conflict, no. Yeah. No, because um, if there was, they would have had to deal with my grandfather and my mother, and they mm. weren't going to do that. And, yeah. But the other thing is, we're all related anyway. It's only just we lived over this side of the street because my this town because mm. my grandfather wasn't going to live with. Native Welfare said we had to go and live. He said, no, I'm living here. This is my land. Mm. And that was on Caballing Road. And we weren't going to go and live up um, the old Williams Road up the other end. Yeah. How, how old were you when you started working at the welfare? I must have been about 13, 14. 
And then and then at 17, your life takes another turn because your mum ends up leaving. Yes. And you and your dad... Had to care for my yeah. sisters and brothers. But I think you had to make a big decision too, you know? About, yes. About the kids and, yeah. and, and to do with welfare as well, is that right? Yes, that's right, Not a welfare. What, what happened there? We had to make the decision because... Uh, the, you know, in native welfare in those days, there had to be um, parents mm. to look after the kids. Otherwise, the kids would be taken away and put in an institution. And one of the biggest problems we had, I didn't want my sisters and brothers going into a mission. Yeah. And of course, the only mission was wandering mission at that time and down Marybank. What was it called back then? Anyway, and I didn't want them to go into the mission. So... I made a deal. I I negotiated with Native Welfare mm-hmm. to put my sisters and brothers into Sister Kate's. Now that was an institution that was a place for quarter caste kids, and all my sisters and brothers were half caste. So we had to do make a. I did a deal with um, Webster. Yeah. For, for my sisters and brothers to go to Sister Kate's. And Sister Kate's because that was here in Perth. Yes, at Queen's Park. Yep, and you was working down here? Oh, I was still in Perth, in Geraldton, t- oh, yeah. but I came to Perth. When they came to Perth, I came to Perth and I worked in Native Welfare in Perth. Got a transfer. Oh, okay. So you was planning, I'm just trying to work out why Sister Kate's. Because working in Native Welfare, I heard about all of the happenings that were in the in the missions. Right. And I didn't want my sisters and brothers to be bashed and smashed and all the rest of it in the missions. So mm. I did this deal with Native Welfare for yep. them to go to Sister Kate's, which was a quarter caste, mm. uh, an institution for quarter caste kids in, in Perth. Yeah. And so when they were moved down here... I went and I came to Perth and lived in Perth so that I could be nice mm. to go out and visit them every weekend or every day. Or, yeah. That's yeah. huge responsibility at a young age, well, you know, to make those decisions. Well, it was, it was. But I wasn't going to live in Narragin by myself. Mm. Not, not at that time. Because then my father, he worked on the railways, and then he moved. He went to Geraldton, I think. Yeah. Or somewhere else. Do you think that, um, you know, having a job in welfare, you reckon that helped to be able to negotiate with them? No, not when you've got people who are arrogant, stubborn people like the people I work with mm-hmm. because, you know, I was black and I, and I had no say in any matter. Mm-hmm. But I read, the new, I read their files and I didn't like what I read. So I I was ordered to stay away from those files. I wasn't allowed to read them. Yeah. It must have been heartbreaking, eh, seeing the family split up like that? Yes, it was. It was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. When, when, when you look back now, how do you feel about those days? I think they, they developed, they... We had to live the life and we had to learn how to survive. So we be, we grew stronger, mm. grew stronger in how we did it. Yeah. 
and we were then we be, we knew how to deal with racism and discrimination was which is right there all the way yeah. through if if do you think you'd do the same thing if you could turn back time yes i think so because i don't think there was any other way because mm. i wasn't going to go to a mission or an institution so they didn't give you much options by no. the sounds of things. No, they didn't. They didn't. No. But like I said, we're creative natives and we had to we had to interpret, translate and implement our way. And we did it. We did it. Yeah. Wow. Next chapter in your life. You um I've got another chapter. You've got many chapters. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> You're a very creative native, like you like to say. <laughs> <laughs> but this is when um, you changed careers. And I think you went into nursing, is that right? Yes, I went into nursing. Yeah. Now, I read somewhere that you used to walk past Royal Perth Hospital to yes. go to work. Yes. And then one day you just slipped in there and asked for a job and I was, yeah, is that native, how the story goes? Yeah, Native Welfare once, it was 176 Wellington Street. Yeah. And I said, had to walk past Royal Perth Hospital to catch the bus out to, out to home from Native Welfare. Yeah. And I was wondering about Royal Perth Hospital and I was thinking, well, I... And I saw what they were doing, and Kosom, that was the biggest. That was the major hospital for the whole of the state, and all our mob used to come down from Narragin when they were transferred for major health checks and things like that. And then, because my friend, her father was a doctor, so I was I was boarding with them for a while, and then I think, well, this I'm. Oh, I might want to do nursing because I was looking after my sisters and brothers all these years. Mm. So I thought, well, I'll do that. So I went and joined up with the West Australian School of Nursing up in West Perth and did all my training with them in in through the uh, in West Perth. And then they then we were given a they said, where do you want to go to do your uh, practical training? And there was only one place. I thought, well, I'll, I'll go to Kalgoorlie. Because that was the only place I'd never been to. <laughs> Just like that. Just like that. <laughs> so I went to Kalgoorlie <laughs> and and then did my practical training at Kalgoorlie Hospital, District Hospital. Well, what was it like, Kalgoorlie? It was very different, but I tell you, I had to get the approval from my parents mm. and and approve, and we had to get the approval from the elders in Kalgoorlie for me to go to Kalgoorlie because I was out of country. Yeah. And they said yes. I like that. And they said yes that I could go to Kalgoorlie. Yeah. And that was okay because one of the things is one of my my grandfather's mother came from out of Kalgoorlie. Mm. So we had that connection. But then that's where I went, Kalgoorlie. That, that cultural respect still there too. It was there. It was and there. Protocol. Wasn't it? Yeah. And I and I and I. Went to the Kalgoorlie Hospital and my nurse's training there. And you know what? One of the things that happened in Kalgoorlie was at Royal Perth Hospital. This white patient wouldn't let me touch her because I was black. And I had the ex- expertise and the skills mm. on that ward for that condition she was in. So I just said, all right. Yep. And then when the, when the matron... And the doctor said that I had to do this, this, and this for this pain. 
she had no alternative. But I tell you what, it really put her down. I thought, to me, she was just another person that needed 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 help. Needed help, and I was there to give it. But she didn't want it because I was black. No. Yeah, and that was oh, tell you what. But that and that's that's from her upbringing, you know. Yeah, that's from her yeah, upbringing. It's been passed on, you know. Yeah, and it's been passed on. That's right. And then your upbringing mm-hmm. and what's been passed on to you is to help others. Yes. Is caring for other people, mm. and that's what I did. And and it was very interesting up in Kalgoorlie because I was out of country mm. in a different place. And but then I did have some family out at Boulder who lived there somewhere out in which was Colbungs. So so yeah. I, I, the connection was made. So in in the health system too, you would have seen how Nungas would have been treated. Yes, I did. Yeah. I did, and especially Narogen. And what changes needed to meet, be, be made, I suppose? Narogen, Nungar's bed wasn't on, allowed on the wards. They were put outside in the, on, on the veranda. And with one blanket, and you know how cold Narogen is, yeah. and when we, Mum used to go to visit, now she was the only one that they wouldn't say anything to, she used to take an extra blanket and take extra blanket or covering for those beds that were sitting outside in the cold wind. You go to hospital to get better, isn't it? And that's it. That's what you're supposed to do. But I'll tell you what, it was the most racist hospital. Mm. We weren't allowed on the main wards at all. At all. And, and and the beds were put outside on onto the veranda. Yeah. You um you met your husband and moved Back to Yamaji country. Yeah. I met him in Port Hedland. Sound like you got around a bit. I did. <laughs> well, I had nothing else to do. And my all my sisters and brothers and my they had all gone and they were all well cared for and stuff. So I just thought, well yes, I'll just and I and I had qualifications and skills. So this is still in the health. Yeah. You're still in working. Mm. And this is what took you around the state? Yeah. Yeah. So you I, met your... I went over. I went over the east, and then I went overseas too. Jeez, into South America, Costa Rica. This I... is all part of the health. World Council of Indigenous Peoples. Wow. Hmm. Wow. And I went over there, and actually, that was quite interesting mm-hmm. in Costa Rica because I could hear the gunshots down the road because that's when all the terrorism was happening. Yeah. But they needed assistance at the hospital to care for their people. So I did that. Wow. And that was that was interesting. Someone, yeah. someone needs to make a movie of your life. Oh, no. I know you're so humble. I, I can see that. I, mm. I picked that up straight away. But, but the, this, your, your story is amazing. But the World Council of Indigenous People, it's about the basic human rights of the Indigenous population in all third world countries all over the world. And mm. that's what that's what it was all about. And you seeing that, and they say in third world countries, yes. And you're seeing that health system, or yes. what's going on in yes. third world. But we actually came from a third world country, didn't we? Yes, we did. And the way we're treated is seeing what you saw over there influence you to make changes here. No, I made those changes here before I left. Right. We survived. Yeah. I worked with state health department, community health community health services in the state government. Mm-hmm. And I was travelling back from Walloona once, travelling back to Geraldton, and I saw how 
the health department was delivering health care to the to the Yamajis up in Waluna. Mm. And I remember this very clearly because I was on the road back to Geraldton and I went through, I was going through because we had to do all the health checks and everything like that with all the people. And I, I didn't like the way that the mainstream services were you uh, were operating. Mm. I said, I'm going to make these changes. Mm. So I went back to Geraldton and kicked the kindy kids out and used the <laughs> health service and set up the health service in the old kindergarten. Which is today Grams. No, the Grams down in, that was in Beachlands. Oh, but the right. kindy kids had one side and they had access to monies. So I thought, well, I want those rooms because the Boomerang Council was on the other side. Mm. And I said, I want those rooms to set up a health clinic. So I've got the money for the kindy kids to move down the road in a facility. So that's why I tell everybody I kicked the kindy kids out <laughs> and used and use that facility to set up at Grams. Yeah. And that's what it was. And we used to get the doctors from VHS and over east to come and do clinics and locums for us. And that was that was the first of its kind in WA. Yes. Wow. So you just trailblaze, you just this yeah. is what needs to be done, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, it was it was something that needed to be done. Mm. Because being involved with health one form or another in my working life, I wanted to see changes. Yeah. And I wanted to see it done our way because the way the white services were delivering, they didn't have a clue. They didn't have a clue what the Nyungas or the Yamaji people were saying because they couldn't understand their language. Mm. You know, the, the Yamajis, for a start, had different words for different parts of the body. Yeah. Even I didn't know what they were, but I used to, to get them of it and, you know, enough trust from them for them to explain to me what, mm. but with the white fella. So you're breaking down the language barrier mm. too. With the white fella, it was his interpretation. So their delivery of services did not meet the needs of the Aboriginal people. How, how did that influence the health sector? You know, oh. was, was, was it the start? For changes right across the board? Oh, the health sector wasn't very happy at all. <laughs> they weren't happy. They was comfortable where they was. <laughs> they, yeah. And they, they were comfortable doing nothing, not delivering a service to Aboriginal people because mm. that was good for them. And our Aboriginal people, the Aboriginal people, their, their conditions, you know, gradually grew worse and stuff like that and some of them died and things like that and it was preventable diseases and preventable deaths. Mm. Well, this has got to stop. So we set up our own Aboriginal health service, did our own training our way and that's how come you got Marmudich. So what what um, what sort of changes did you make? In the health system, like what was what was they doing and what wasn't working? Then what did you do? To I make looked it work? at their um, their delivery of services. It was all right. It was all right because it met the needs of of the individual. Yeah. But it was the way it was delivered to them, mm. which was creating the problem, and that's it. So I thought, well, there we go. We'll just have to make those changes mm. that met the needs of the Aboriginal people, and that's when we used Aboriginal words. Yeah. And doing it our way. And now you see when you go into doctor surgeries or whatever, 
You see all the posters up with language names and yes, body parts and all that. Yes, and that's it. Because back then that was called that was um, that was called that was called racism and things like that, and mm. and it was um, strengthening and racism, making mm. it harder for white fellows to live in our land. Yeah. And at one at some point, because you know this, listening to you talk now and tell and tell your story, and you was always. You know, especially with that Wagula yoga, that she wouldn't let you touch her, mm. you know, when you went to help. But it was all about helping people and doing it in the right way, in the most effective way. Mm. At some point while you was doing that, did you ever think to yourself, you know, you're making history here? No, no, because I was just... Just I focused. Was, I was just doing a service for the people, for, for, for the... I was just delivering a service to people, mm. regardless of colour, creed. Or who? Yeah, and that was what that was. It was all about the human rights and human beings. Yeah, you were you. You met your husband. You went back to Yamaji country. Mm. You had four boys. Yes, four boys. What what happened with your husband? Did you what what happened there? He was a Vietnam vet. Right, and um, he he lived in Northampton, out of out of Geraldton. Yeah, and I met him in Gerald and Port Edwin, you know, because he was, because uh, I was doing some work with an old native hospital up there, and the lady who was running the hospital, she came from out of Northampton, old Edie Rowe, mm. and she came from out of Northampton, and so that sort of relationship, sort of, that's where it started. I didn't like Geraldton very much, but I went to Northampton because I had a good relationship with my husband, his brother and sister at that time. Yeah. And and sort of we sort of developed programs and things that was going to be a benefit to the Yamaji people mainly mm-hmm. out of that. And he had a he had an issue that he had to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know what it was until later on in life, in my life. Um then he said, I'm going, I'm leaving. He was going over to Melbourne and then to Sydney and mm. he was going to be part of the Viet- Vietnam Vets um, Association and all that sort of stuff over there. Yeah. And and that was it. Because you was, you was a single mum and you was working for part of, part of this time, you know. What, what were your challenges there, you know, as a working single mum? I think my challenge was at that particular time, um, my job, because I was a single mother, was to, for care and maintenance of my kids, the children, that, the three boys that was in my care. Mm. Because one of the boys I put up for adoption and he went and lived in Melbourne. And, um, and the other three, they were in my care and I wanted to make sure that they had a, had a good life, a strong and healthy life. Mm. So that, that was my job. So I had to, I had to maintain. I had to keep the job. So I, because nursing was my thing, and I went into health and things like that. Yeah. And, and it gave me that flexibility to be able to care for my kids as well as yeah. delivering my service. I, I wanted to ask you that question then, because when my parents broke up, and I was just living with my mum and my my sister, you know. Mm. 
and the things that had made us really bond together, you know, and always as a son, as the older son, trying to help mum a lot, you know, so. Yeah, yeah that that was it. And and because they were there, and because my eldest sister, she was up in Headland with her family and she's starting a family up there. But that was my, I was, I was looking after my sons mm. and and I also was looking after my Grandkids too, on um, um, my sister's kids. Yeah, yeah, because they were they were they didn't have um, th- there was a split up in their families, and so they didn't know where to go or what to do. So, being yeah. the eldest and being the next of kin and having some sort of support, mm. I I gave them the support as well. I right, that's that's fantastic that you know your personal life from running alongside your professional life, you know, in the health service. Mm. And, you know, it's like none of that affected your job. You know, you're focused on what mm. you had to do here and you knew what you had to do at home with your boys. How how long was you in the health service for? Oh, 10, 20 years. 20 yeah. years. Yes. Wow. You had such a strong career too by the sounds of it. It was interesting. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And and if I had to improve on what was being delivered, I did that. Yeah. And I did it our way. Did it our way. Wongi my brother. up. Now, you, you end up retiring and it was after after you retired that you were recognised for your outstanding contributions to Aboriginal health and awarded a doctorate. There you go. There you go. That's what you think. There you go. I like that. <laughs> uh, when when did you retire? Oh my goodness! I think in. I don't know whether I retired. You never do, you know. No. You, they just stopped paying you. Yeah, they just stopped paying me. So, and, and my money was all um, sitting fees or mm. or travelling. Yeah. Travel money or whatever. That was my money. That was my income. How how did you feel when you got the doctorate? Did it mean meant a lot to you? Well, it was it was the least I didn't expect it. Yeah. I'll tell you what, my granddaughter got it though. Hey? <laughs> <laughs> what did you do that for? <laughs> oh, is that how it came about? Did, yeah. Did she make it happen? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. What what does it mean to you? Well, I was sort of overwhelmed, actually. Yeah. By by this, because I was just quite happy doing what I thought was best for my people, mm. their health and well being, and that's what I was doing. Yeah. Nothing else. But it it was significant to my granddaughter, and she and Child Health Institute recommended me for a doctorate. So how, did your granddaughter tell you how she did it, how she made it happen? No, because I didn't ask her and I didn't want to ask her. <laughs> I didn't want to ask her because I was embarrassed. Yeah. I was embarrassed, would you believe? Mm. Well, but that's because that's you're humble. I noticed you're so humble, you know. Is that what it is? Oh, well, what do you, what do you reckon? I Why was you embarrassed? I thought it was a bee. <laughs> A bee. Yeah, humble bee. Oh, humble bee. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you, you know, 
at at that point, and and you realize, you know, you got this doctorate. You know, do you ever just think back? You know, I'm glad I did this. I'm I'm glad we did this. But it seems like there's never there's never an end because it's mm. always revolving. You know. Yes, it's it's be further changes and development that's to be made. Mm. But you started the ball rolling. You started the changes by the sounds of things, you know. Well, it needed to be because I was concerned about the health and well-being of my people and for us to go forward mm. strong and healthy, and that's what it was all about. Yeah. The health and well-being of my people. Are you proud of what you've done? I suppose I am. I, I suppose I am. It's just something that... That bee coming out again, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose I am. It, it, it just, to me, it was something that needed to be done, you know. Mm. And I just did it. That's all there is to it. Uh, well, everything that we've got now in the WA health system and the access that we've got as Aboriginal people is because of you. There you go then. There you go. <laughs> Look at that, eh? I must have been looking into the future. You was. This is the way we're going. Yeah. And that, well, I suppose that I wanted my people to go forward strong and healthy, mm. and I wanted to give them that pathway. Yeah. And I tell my young fellas now, stay strong, mm. because you're our future, my future. So stay strong and secure. Yeah. And that's it. And see that path over there? That's the hill you've got to walk up. Yeah. And there we go. Yeah. Well, you've, you know, you've seen a lot and you've experienced a lot and you've changed a lot in your life, but you're still making those changes today. I still have. With the city of Perth. Because I don't know what, I get bored. <laughs> <laughs> I get bored and I go to these meetings and I think, what are you saying? I mm. tell them. I said, I tell them, have you got otitis media? And they say, what's that? I said, loss of hearing because you never heard what we said and that's called otitis media. So you've got a hearing problem. Go and get your ears fixed. <laughs> <laughs> and you know where to send them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, true. But you're sitting at, at, the, at the city of Perth mm. on the advisory group, you know, what? Um, what's some of the... What's some of the changes or, you know, what does success look like for you? Well, now I can walk up London Court without getting told not to. <laughs> See? A simple thing like that, isn't it? I used to stand down one end of London Court, look up, and I was thinking, what's that? And then I stand down the top end. When we were allowed on Hay Street, I used to stand and look down. Yeah. And then when I was... When I when I had um, you know when it when it was okay for me to walk up London Court, I walked up London Court. Well, what's so special about this? Mm. The sky's up there. What's so special about all this? I felt that I had to walk up London Court, but maybe it was because of racism. That it was because of racism we weren't allowed down there. But I think that when I was able to do that. That barrier had been broken. Now I could do it. Mm. And I did it. But it's the, it's the simple thing, isn't it? Yes. Of just walking down the street, going mm. to the toilet. Yeah. You know, those simple things that a lot of people 
take for granted. Yes. It sounds like a song somebody wrote. But it's the simple things that people take for granted that mean so much to someone who Mm. come from places where they wasn't allowed to go to the toilet, they wasn't allowed to play with with white kids, you know. Yes. And we weren't allowed to walk on this side of the street. We had to walk on that side of the street or we weren't allowed to walk this side. You had Mm. to walk over that side. Yeah. And and they were... Because we weren't even allowed in the town hall. Yeah. So that was out of bounds to Aboriginal people. Mm. You know? And at one stage, the government gardens. Mm. We weren't allowed to play in government gardens. Mm. But my parents, my mother, she was determined, so we did. Yeah. Now, something else that I was pretty excited about today was interviewing you is about. Your beanies. My beanies? i got them right here. Oh, wow, look at that. Yeah. How many beanies? You, you knitted, knitted these, obviously. Yeah, I've knitted many beanies. And it's only because I can't sit at home doing nothing. <laughs> I've got that from and I've got a, and I And I have to do something with my hands. And knitting, I'm not too fond of the needles. And I used to get all tangled up with the needles. So I got the crochet needle, the yeah. hook, the hook it's called. And so I crocheted beanies and that was it. So you did the Aboriginal colours mm. and they're all over Perth I had too, these yeah. beanies. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, when I put the white strip on it, I call it the reconciliation beanie. That that story, this, this one that I've got in my hand is mm. black up the top mm. and it slowly fades into white through grey, then white, then yellow and red. And you told me the lovely story about this one. Can you tell me again? The little Wodgil kids weren't allowed out in the street by themselves. So if I'm sitting outside with the little Nyungar kids and we'd be sitting there talking and and the Nyungar kids would be, because I'd take out sandwiches or snacks and stuff like that and they'd spread a blanket and sit there. Yeah. And, and I'd sit there knitting. And I was knitting Aboriginal colours. And, of course, the little Nyungar kids, they were so happy for the <laughs> Nyungar colours. And this little white boy said to me, what about me? Mm. What about me? And I said, what? And he gave me the white wool. And he said, this, me, that's me. Mm. Oh, okay. So I knitted the white in there. And then I think, well, that's so lovely. Then I call it the reconciliation beanie. Coming together. You know what's amazing about that? Is it all flipped around. Yes. Suddenly this little Wadula kid was mm. feeling left out of place. Yes, he was. How they made you feel as a kid. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's true. And then you you didn't tell him, no, you can't come in here. Mm. It was so much different of you saying, come here. Mm. Let's include you. Yes. When they never included you as a kid. Uh, that's right. And I think that's the difference between Wadulas and Nungas. Yes. Some of them are still living the life way back. Mm. We're changing. Mm-hmm. We are very strong. We're very strong yeah. people. And there's a famous mum who taught you how to knit. Yes. Ernie Dingo's mum. Uh, Ernie Bessie Dingo taught me how to knit. Yeah. Yes. Because right. I used to go and sit and listen to over in Mullawar talk about all the Yamajis and what was happening in Mullawar, which is the most racist town in that Midwest area. Mm. We used to sit and yarn. 
you know what, you've done so much in your life, you've achieved so much, you know, you've made so many changes, you've inspired a lot of people. You've probably, the way that you've changed the health system, saved a lot of lives at the same time. Well, I hope so. I hope so. You have. Because that's what it was all about. Yeah. How how do you want to be remembered? Oh, don't let me go yet. (laughs) No, I'm not doing that. (laughs) This recording is going to be around for many, many years to come. Oh, that's lovely. people are going to know who you are. Excellent. But in your own words, what do you want to be remembered as? A mover and a groover? <laughs> That'll do. No, you don't. With a real funky beanie in it? <laughs> oh, dear. No, thank you, then. Thank you so much for oh, for coming good. in and sharing your story. Yeah, it's so important to get your story out there. I'm a creative native. I like that one. <laughs> well, Dr Mogadi. Dr Mogadi. Thank you so much. Shining the light. Shining the light. There you go. You got it right there. That's the name of this show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then I'll talk to you soon. Oh. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I... Well, there you go then. There you go. I didn't even have to dance. <laughs> <laughs> That was Dr Mugiri, Ari Margaret Colbung, one of WA's trailblazers in Aboriginal health, and a pretty deadly beanie knitter too. You want to check him out. I'm Phil Welly Stack and you've been listening to Ni, Nalakwangi, a series of conversations with Aboriginal elders living in Boraloo, Perth. This podcast was produced by Community Arts Network in partnership with the City of Perth and with the support from the ABC. You can find more stories like this by visiting can.org.au or through your favourite podcast service. For more information, check out can.org.au. And until then, I'm Phil Wallystack. Bye, everyone.